Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's up, everybody? It's the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. And with me, special guest, Josh Pate from Late Kick 24-7 Sports. Josh is the man. Really glad you took the time to come on with us, Josh. And um, listen, I, I'm not – we, you know, we, we have times where we kind of, you know, BS around a little bit at the beginning of a show. But, you know, I, I want to just kind of throw it to you. And and obviously, you know, if you've got anything you want to say to everybody, do that too. But I want to throw it to you because you've been bullish on Georgia football, okay, uh, from, from the late kick episodes that I have seen. And I just wanted to give you a chance for those who don't get a chance to see late kick and, and don't get a chance to partake in it religiously uh, like so many do. Why? Why are you bullish on Georgia football? Well, I do have something I want to say to everyone. Hey, that's what I wanted to say to him. Secondly, to you, appreciate you having me on. Um, this helps me because now I don't have to listen to it later like I do every other episode because I'm here already. I may still listen, to be honest with you, but I do appreciate it. Um, look, if you're doing a show, so so pretend you're a college football fan and then someone is, uh, if you want to use the term ignorant, if you want to use the term feisty, whatever, they're they're willing to give you your own show. So not only are you a fan, but you talk about this stuff every week and they pay you a little bit of money too to do it. How could you not? How could you not be into Georgia football? Now I'm from Georgia. So that's another layer there. But think about think about when you look across the nation, Jake, there is there is a precious lack of what you have bottled up at Georgia. So you've got an elite roster there, which you don't see a whole lot across the nation, but it's not just the roster. It's a full investment on every level. And this is something, if you're a Georgia fan, you know, you guys haven't even had there at various points. Now there have, may have been times where Georgia thought they were all in, but they weren't all in. Well, they're all in now. And I, I mean, that, that right there is a life source for someone like me to see an Alabama football or a Georgia football or an Ohio state football, the places that don't apologize for it, they're totally all in on it. So then once you knock those dominoes down, then you zoom into 2021. And I remember you and I, right before we hit record last year, we were talking about what the conversation pieces were this time last year. And in one way, it seems like five years ago. But in another way, it seems like yesterday, I'd go over to dogs 24-7, just like thousands and thousands of other people were. I said, oh, man, let me see what happened at practice today. Did Daniels take any second team reps? Nope, still not first or second team. That's interesting. Dewan Mathis. Hey, let me let me text some folks. He's making a little move there. And I remember that. And it was a day-to-day, hour-to-hour thing, plus practice was closed. Well, now, and this is one of the most common storylines out there, but I think it's the one that we lead with, when you have finally filled in the blank, that people were waiting so long to have filled in. 
And when I say filled in, I don't mean in pencil. I mean with a bright red Sharpie. When you can put JT Daniels' name there in that blank, that means the world. Because I know the 50,000-foot viewpoint on Georgia has always been, well, I go over to 247sports.com and they've got the highest team talent composite. So that means it's an abject failure if they don't win a national championship. Well, I have not viewed Georgia football that way because I know the game does not work that way, firstly. And secondly, just as any one football game comes down to in specific matchups, and in most cases, ISO matchups, as opposed to just how much talent your team has, that has been the fate of Georgia football. There are a lot of talented teams out there. Texas A&M was a very talented team last year. Texas A&M is a very talented team this year. If you're not filling in that quarterback blank with a guy that I feel can go head-to-head against a Nick Saban coach team or, in Georgia's case, a Dabo Swinney coach team, you know, knowing who you eventually got to go through to get where you want to go, well, that is not a team I'm about to take seriously as a national title contender. It's why I have struggled to take Georgia seriously to this point as a national title contender And I know, even though you want to be optimistic, I know a lot of the fans, even listening right now, have understood that that's the case. Jake, it's no longer the case. And that's why it's so exciting to talk about this team. And that's why I think even if you're an agnostic fan out there, you don't have an SEC team for a period, this is one of them you watch. You may watch LSU for the drama. You watch Georgia because that's the team out there that has the best shot to do something they haven't done in a long time out of any program in America. Let's dig in a little bit deeper on JT Daniels, all right, because, you know, you you pointed out – you made some very good points there just, just about being able to write his name into the depth chart with a pen, and you know that, and there's that comfort level there. And, and, and while it probably takes away from a little bit of intrigue on our side, we're going to report it as it is, which is JT Daniels a starter. Kirby said it. JT came to SEC Media Days. If you needed further proof, there it is. Well, Josh, the opinions are kind of all over the place. You know, I mean, it's uh, – well, I don't want to say all over the place because it's one guy, so it's tough to be all over the place. There's usually like three or four different categories these fall in. But you got people like Joel Klatt who – and I don't know what the current stance is, but after the season, because of what JT came and did for Georgia's office, Joel Klatt says Georgia's my number one team in the country. Well, then you've got some pro football focus guys who think JT Daniels is Georgia's biggest question mark, and they don't put a whole lot into what happened in the four games last season. Where, where do you stand on that? I'm sure it's probably somewhere in the middle because those are two pretty good extremes. But where, where do you stand on JT Daniels as a football player and, and, has the cap- and his capability? Well, I'd lean more towards the Joel Klatt point of view there than the, um, the former group you mentioned who have some very, very swinging philosophical takes this time of year. It's almost like it's a strategy there. So – Let's think about this. This is where it's very important to have watched the games instead of just look at a bunch of numbers. JT Daniels last year, JT Daniels this year. Do we even know that's the same person? Not from a birth certificate standpoint. I mean, when you're looking at the body of work, I think one of the mistakes people make when they're trying to scout this game, if you want to use a term, or just watch this game and interpret it, observe it instead of just watching it. That's the better way to put it. I think. We forget about all of the mechanisms behind the scenes that go into a performance. You know, if you are if you are 68% of yourself versus 83% of yourself, I'm going to get a different Jake Rowe today. Uh, well, it's the same way if you're a very, very high-level football player. So there is a reason. You can speculate a million different angles why. There is a reason, obviously, we did not see JT Daniels until the time we saw him last year. 
He wasn't being punished. It wasn't that he kept losing paper, rock, scissors battles in the tunnel before the game. And then we saw him. So there's going to be an assumption based on revisionist history and the way an offseason works that people are going to just remember what JT Daniels did on a piece of paper, looking at numbers, and they're going to say, okay, that is what I should expect from him this year. Well, that may be the case, or it may be that there was a reason the guy wasn't playing initially last year. And then when he was put on the field, it was only after he met a minimum baseline threshold of them feeling comfortable putting him out there. But it may be that we never saw him at his best. It may be that given a full spring, which is important, by the way, that's a loaded statement this day and age, having a full spring, having a full spring and then having a full summer to work out with guys, to work out with the wide receiver core that you're going to be with and knowing you've got the job, you're not splitting reps, at least one reps with anyone. You could be looking at an entirely different player here this year. I don't mean he's going to 150% surpass his production level, but Jake, think about what these games come down to. These games come down to fitting it between a window on third and six to extend a drive and run out of clock. I mean, that kind of stuff, I only gave you six more yards technically in your stat sheet. If you did something there that you couldn't move in the pocket and buy yourself one and three quarter more seconds than you could last year and make a throw, then that means you're a different player than you were last year. So I know you got the PFF side, you got the Joel Klatt side. We'll know in the Clemson game, man, this is not something we're going to have to wait until judging in the bye week once we have a seven or eight game sample size under our belts. You'll watch JT Daniels and you'll either say, okay, this is the exact same caliber of play I saw last year, which is good enough to win with, or this guy looks a little bit better than he did last year. And that means he is going to be playing at a good enough level, given the rest of the complimentary pieces around him for us to contend for a national championship. Cause I can assure you if JT Daniels level of play is elevated above and beyond what we saw last year, there are no superstar transcendent quarterbacks we're entering this season with across the landscape of college football. Bama's got a new one. Ohio State's got a new one. Clemson's got a new one. I don't think Spencer Rattler is in that lofty territory yet. And so it's not going to take some superhuman presence at quarterback and a bunch, like five first round receivers to win a national title this year. You got to have a very good football team. You can't have many question mark positions, but you can afford to have growth and you can afford to have a quarterback that's not going to throw for 9,000 yards, but make good decisions, can push the ball down the field when he needs to, but can get you an extended drive, can throw the ball away and understands that could be the biggest play in the game. Sometimes that stuff can win you a national championship. And I don't think we're going to have to wait long to know whether we got it with him or not. You know, I think we got us a little bit of a mind meld going on here because it's kind of the same thing. I, I kind of keep referring to with JT Daniels. And one of the things, Josh, that hammered that point home to me was SEC media days. And, you know, we're, we're sitting there, we get this private session with Kirby beforehand. I think it's to, to keep us from dominating the microphone on the main floor and, and doing all these housekeeping questions, as we call them in the media, where we're asking about injuries and things of that nature. Um, but we were talking to Kirby and, and somebody asked about the full spring and, and the mental side of it from JT and, and Kirby almost brushes off the, the mental thing. Like, yeah, I mean, mentally he's fine. He's been fine. He, you know, it's never been a mental issue with JT. It's the physical and where he has gotten better this offseason mobility, strength, adding weight. That's where they wanted him to get better. <clears throat> and I think if you're a Georgia fan, 
that may be the biggest that may be the biggest comment of the offseason. Now I know you know they loved hearing you know George Pickens is making great progress and that Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint and and Dominic Blaylock are are on the road to recovery and and Jack Saint may be ready to go to start preseason camp. Um, you know, knowing your linebackers are healthy, hearing that the team has had a smooth transition with Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick and, and Tyke Smith, all of that's good stuff. But it's quarterback driven game, quarterback driven level of the game at college football. And so I think the biggest comment, the biggest development, the biggest piece of information that I heard from all offseason from the people I talked to off the record to the people, very few people I talked to on the record was that Kirby Smart played up heavily JT Daniels' physical progression. And to me, that that is, is reason number one to kind of be excited about what JT Daniels can do for Georgia this year. And uh, that's that, to me, is the reason why I'm kind of bullish on this team. Maybe I'm even more bullish than – my, my confidence in Georgia football grew more after hearing Kirby Smart say that about JT Daniels. And tell me if, if this is unreasonable or not after hearing Kirby Smart say that about JT Daniels, than it did when Georgia got Eric Gilbert. No, it's it's a big deal, but it's also why it's also why being close to the program and observing it on a day-to-day basis like you guys do, it's why it's so critical. And it's why I tell people, even though I watch every snap of every Georgia game, man, they got me up here trying to, at least allegedly, cover the nation. I don't have time to do that, nor do I have the access on the ground to do that. So I mean, think about this. So there, there may be casual fans who just tune in on Saturday, but they're not really, really woven into the day-to-day. How does Kirby Smart normally talk about an injured guy, or how does he normally talk about those topics in general, and why was it so different? Like, why did that stand out to you, the way his body, bodily expressions changed when he was referencing that? Well, I think that – I think it's just the fact that – so. Kirby Kirby's thing normally is, you know, yeah, we got to get him ready to play. We, you know, he has to, the, the, the main thing is normally, well, if he's talking about it physically, he likes to talk about, can a guy sustain, can, is he in shape and can he sustain? Now I know that doesn't apply to the quarterback position, but what physical traits does a does a coach usually harp on at the quarterback position, right? They're always talking about mentally focus, uh, um, you know, leadership, they're, they're talking about what he can handle as far as the playbook, you know, what, what can he do to, to be not, not just in terms of like specific execution, but not getting too high, not getting too low, taking it one play at a time. You hear so much of that at the quarterback position, but then you've got George's head coach here about a quarterback who, who was coming off a gruesome knee injury. He had multiple procedures to get that thing fixed. And everybody you talk to, you know, when, when we were talking to sources last season before JT Daniels became Georgia's starting quarterback, it was all about, like, listen, they, they don't think he's, in, he's himself again. Like, you don't, they don't think he is back to JT Daniels' form. And, and they're confident that he will be. They're confident in the guy that he will be when he gets there, but he's not there yet. He's not moving around well enough. He, he's, he's a little stiff. He, he may be a little bit timid. Maybe he's got this going on or that. But to hear Kirby kind of come out and, and his position specific and harp on the physical with a quarterback, but not only harp on the physical with a quarterback, but talk about the specific gains and the things he saw, to me, that made a ton of difference. Uh, it just just in kind of the way you reference those things because, you know, listen, Jake Fromm never was coming off an injury, but you never heard Kirby Smart really talk about anything physical with Jake Fromm. 
you didn't hear Kirby Smart talk about anything physical with Jacob Eason. He's talking about it. And, and, and again, no injury with those guys, but he's talking about it with, with JT Daniels. He's talking about JT Daniels specifically shoring up what was perceived as a weakness a year ago. Yeah, so let, all right. So now let's go forward-facing here. Why this stuff is so key. You open with Clemson, obviously. And it's been a while since Georgia opened. I mean, I can't remember the last time they opened with an opponent of this magnitude. You rarely do. But think about the difference in a season. This is not the NFL. You can't afford to lose four or five games and make the playoffs. So the, the literal difference we're talking about here, if you try and put yourself as vivid as you can in the position, it's, it's mid to late third quarter there in Charlotte. I mean, this is a one-possession game. Odds makers at least think so either way. And, I mean, let's say you're sitting there 23-20, to 20, midway through the third quarter. You're trailing, but you're driving. You're inside plus territory. And, again, it's one of those third medium situations where you can't just hand it off to Zamir White and count on him to pound out some tough yards. It's third and six. I mean, think about the margins in this game, Jake. In that kind of game, I mean, when you got a guy like Brian Brzee, let's say he gets through the line, he's bearing down on you, your ability to subtly sidestep and just get swiped instead of getting sacked and stay on your feet and find an open tailback spilling out of the backfield for a first down versus getting sacked for a five-yard loss and having to punt because you just got knocked out of field goal range, that's the difference in a football game. No amount of PFF advanced stats can predict that. No amount of box scores are really going to tell you that story. But that right there, for all we know, that one play is the difference in Georgia going undefeated versus them having an early season loss and being unsure about themselves and Kirby Smart fielding a million questions. This game is so it's so razor thin in some of those cases. So what I'm saying is you could watch JT Daniels all summer long and you may the untrained eye may still not even pick up on that subtle difference. But your physical ability to just add that one layer onto your game. That could make the all it literally could make the difference in being able to win a national championship to put a fine point on it in college football. Absolutely. And and I would even hit the reverse, hit the rewind button here to JT Daniels' first start. Uh, I believe on the on the game winning touchdown drive, you know, he had two drop touchdown passes in a row before he hits Kyrus Jackson on third down to take the lead. But that first one that was dropped was dropped by George Pickens, rare occurrence. JT Daniels did sidestep a guy. He did make a guy miss. Now, we're not talking about Brian Brezzi or, or, or you know, Miles Murphy here. We're talking about a Mississippi State defensive lineman that's probably not of the same caliber. But he made a guy miss and made that throw. And you look back and, you know, you ask yourself the question, hey, I wonder if JT Daniels could have done that in week four. I wonder if JT Daniels gets spun around and, and gets that knee aggravated in week four, and that's why he didn't play before. So those incremental and, – and Kirby, this is actually borrowing directly from him – those incremental improvements you make physically, you make mentally, you're right. It's 100% the, the, the difference the, – the, it's 100% the potential difference in a big game. And, and that's really all that matters because there's going to be five, six, seven games where you can kind of roll your helmet out there and out-athlete teams if you don't turn the ball over a million times. But winning the big ones is what's going to get you to, to Atlanta, past Atlanta, and into that Final Four. Uh, all right, we spent a lot of time on JT Daniels. So let's kind of – I don't want to breeze through them, but let's kind of move through the, the other parts of the offense. And, listen, I don't even want to talk about running back because running back is what it is. It's the exact same thing we saw last year, and Georgia should be fine at running back. Receiver. 
Josh, I and I posted this on Twitter a couple days ago, and it's one of the big things that stands out to me about this team. A couple seasons ago, 2019, Georgia loses Lawrence Cager. And the collective – this is a guy that was an undrafted free agent. Maybe he gets drafted if he doesn't suffer a serious injury at Georgia and, and, and they lose him for the season. Uh, but we're talking about a guy that came in as a graduate transfer. He, had, he hadn't put together a 1,000-yard season or anything close to it. He wasn't considered one of the elite wide receivers in college football. Georgia loses him, and the offense – not only does the offense go into a shell, the stomach and soul and heart of every Georgia fan goes into a shell because they know what it means. They know that the offense is probably going to struggle now. Georgia loses George Pickens this spring, and I th- – feel like everybody was still able to keep their head up. I feel like everybody was still able to kind of see. Now, listen, when Jermaine Burton got hurt a week later, it was it was dicey there until we found out that he wasn't seriously injured and he wasn't going to miss a significant amount of time and he was going to be good to go for the 2021 season. But you lose your best receiver during spring practice. You know you've lost him for the year, and I know the timing matters there. But to me, that said a lot about what the weapons look like, and then you throw Eric Gilbert in there on top of that uh, on June the 1st. How do you feel about the guys JT Daniels got to throw the football to? Well, it's the difference in having a, a steak knife versus a Swiss Army knife's worth of tools here. And you're absolutely right. I remember vividly where I was. I mean, I was sitting in my truck. I remember the intersection I was at the day that news broke. And I, I texted and drove, so don't do that, kids. But I remember texting and the buddy who had sent it to me. I said, well, there goes that. And, I mean, it didn't mean that they were going to you know, be hopeless, but but I certainly think it it cut the ceiling off of that team to well below what the expectation level had been. But Burton to me is such an important player. Um, Every now and then, Jake, you get those players who you feel like have been around a lot longer than they have. And Jermaine Burton is one of those players. I feel like I've watched him five or six years now and we clearly haven't, but Jermaine Burton's a guy who for, for non-household names, regionally or nationally, I think he stands the best chance to become a household name this year. Because the way it has been is you look at the wide receiver position for Georgia and, you know, you've conditioned yourself. Again, if you're one of those casual fans or an agnostic fan who just observes the program from afar, you've conditioned yourself to say, well, I don't really care what a wide receiver has been rated when they've gone into Georgia because obviously – Georgia doesn't pump out really big-time star receivers. It's just not the kind of offense they run. Now, running back, I'll talk to you about running back, but not wide receiver. Well, that's the case until it changes, which is the most common statement you'll ever hear, but it's true. That's the way it was at Alabama until it changed. That's the way it is at Georgia until it changes. 100%, by the way. That's that's something that I, I think that maybe Alabama's been doing it long enough that everybody thinks, well, Alabama's been wide receiver used since Nick Saban got there. No, it was it was a guy. It was a guy here. It was a guy there. It was Amari Cooper. And then, I don't know, man, when Amari left, things just – I mean, it was a rocket ship after that. It was it was Jerry Judy. It was uh, Calvin Ridley. And all, then, I mean, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, it just went – Henry Ruggs. It went bananas after that. So, it, you're right. It is until it – it isn't until it is. Right. But, see, I look up and down their lineup, there being Georgia. I look up and down their lineup right now. There are several names here. This is the way I always look at it. Now, this is a weird way to look at it. But so we've now gone from thinking that way about Alabama to Alabama is the standard bearer for pumping out elite receivers in the sport now, which is a sentence that still feels weird to say. But but I mean, we can say it now. So 
the way I like to look at anyone's roster is if I took your wide receivers and I put them at Alabama, what do I think they'd do? I think Kyrus Jackson would shine there. I think Jermaine Burton would shine there. I think A.D. Mitchell in time has the skill set to shine there. So that means they have the capability. That's all that means. So now I'm putting them in Georgia's system. And all we ask at that point is, well, how similar can they perform here relative to the offensive system that we view as one of the very best in the country? I don't know that they're going to match up apples for apples, but what I do know is this is by 10 miles the most opportune situation to be in. If you've been a receiver at Georgia looking to looking to announce your talents on the national level, and here's the thing about these guys too, Jake, it's not a collection of guys that look like they were pumped off the same assembly line. They're not all 5'11", 170 pounds. And I'm not saying you can't win with those guys, but it really helps if you've got some versatility in that room because it goes week to week, the skill set that it best behooves you to have at that spot. And I mean, Kyrus Jackson, even Kyrus Jackson, you think of as one of their smaller guys, at least that's the image I get in my mind. Kyrus Jackson, six foot, 200 pounds. So that's not a small kid. Uh, there are much smaller receivers doing big things in this game, but I really love their ability. And this is what you have to do to get on the field for re receiver position at Georgia. You got to be willing to do dirty work. You've got to be willing to block and put your face in the fan. And they don't have one guy that does that. They have multiple guys that I think they can trust to do that. And what's exciting is to watch a guy like A.D. Mitchell, to watch some of these guys. You know, you see a pop player or two in the spring game. But the finer points of the game, the stuff that it takes to be on the field and for them to depend on you, that's the evolutionary process that, again, we keep going back to this theme. It doesn't show up on a stat sheet or a PFF grade. But that's the difference. That's how you go from good to great. And that's a really, really fun position group to watch, especially when you throw in Gilbert this year. So let me ask you this. Uh, you hear people talk about Eric Gilbert, and there are some who have zero confidence that he can play wide receiver. And there are some that think that he can do it and do it well. I think I personally believe, I mean, his, his role is alphabet soup. He's going to be the X receiver, Y receiver, Z receiver, H receiver, whatever – receiver i mean put a letter on it you know the m receiver if they've got one he's going to probably play it they're going to move him around and try to find he's going to have his own role do you think he can play receiver yeah i think he can play a receiver in a defined role or an or let me rephrase that because i agree about the versatility he can play receiver in a system that understands how to properly utilize him and so it's very important at that point to remember this is not a situation that unfolded two weeks before the season started they got this done in the summer. And so, I mean, Todd Munkin has had hour upon hour upon hour. And they, as a staff, have had hour upon hour to work on this and to conceptualize this. Here's what I wonder. I know what fans thought when they saw that headline. I mean, I know if you're trying to run a website, I know what you thought if you saw that headline. But I wonder from that coaching staff's point of view, did they look at that move and say, oh, man, we just got the missing piece? Or did they look at it and say, Hey, Eric Gilbert, huge name, man. We wanted him out of high school. We didn't get him. We, we are going to make a spot for him. Now we're going to bring him in. And in 2021, if he shows up from the neck up and neck down, ready to play football, then we're going to have a spot for him. But I mean, we're not about to let our season hinge on this. We'll win with him. We'll win without him. I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder what the perception versus reality is. And I don't know. I mean, what's the feel around there as to how integral a role he's going to play in, in their national championship hopes this year. You know, I, I personally, I, I think that the, the vibe I get is that 
they're excited about him. Now, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't think it was a make-or-break thing. I think it probably became bigger. You know, when you're, when you're talking about, okay, the, the courtship before spring practice as opposed to after spring practice, there was a little more umph to it after spring practice because, listen, before spring practice and before the Pickens injury, you know, the word was George was looking for some speed at receiver. They wanted to go out and get a guy that could run and, and could stretch the field. Well, after spring practice, the, the, the feeling I started to get from talking to people close to the program was they wanted to go get an impactful guy. They didn't care if, he was a, if it was a big, maybe possession-type guy. They didn't care if it was a speed guy. They wanted to go get themselves an impactful receiver. And Mike Woods was one of the guys they looked at. Um, you know, I, I know there were others that they, that they also took a flyer on as well and, and, and recruited and got involved with. But I, I think that when, when the academic situation started to work itself out with Eric Gilbert, and I, I think Georgia started to make some headway there, they got him. And I think they realized that they've got kind of a rare blend of size and athleticism and matchup problems and a guy that can do a lot of different things before, for you because Eric Gilbert gives you something that not not so, there aren't a ton of guys that can do this for you because if you want to line up with with three wide receivers and Eric Gilbert's one of your guys three wide receivers one tight end one running back well you run a bunch formation to the right well the mismatch you may you may not find a mismatch in the passing game that way they may have a a really good guy that's built to kind of you know give Eric Gilbert problems but you've you've got a mismatch in the run game because you've got a 6'5", 248-pound guy who's going to block somebody that's smaller than him. And that's, that's I think, where he really starts to cause problems for you and, and starts to help you create some balance because he can make plays off play action, he can make plays on the straight drop back, and he can help you in the run game because he is such a big body. And, listen, I don't care if you're not a very good blocker at all um, – it's it's one of those things where mass is going to win a large portion of the time, and and if he's locked on to a to a six foot, hundred ninety five pound, uh, you know, star nickel guy, he, he's he's gonna he's gonna whip him. I mean, he's gonna have to get around that guy, get around Gilbert at some point, and you know, Georgia can run those you know now passes, those screens, those package plays, those those uh, looks where maybe a defense is you know looking for him on third and three, looking for him to run the football, and you got one on ones out in the you know out on the edge and. Eric Gilbert can block his guy and, and, and spring somebody for a big gain. So he's just such a matchup issue. And, and I think there's a lot of excitement, not only with Georgia fans, Georgia fans are probably as excited as anybody about him, but I think there's a lot of excitement within the football team. You kind of sense that from talking to JT Daniels at SEC media days. You know, what wouldn't surprise me at all. So a couple points here. Um, what wouldn't surprise me at all is I've watched this happen. Sometimes if you got a guy who's been a focal point, and physically, like you don't have very many questions about him, but there were some off the field concerns and maybe people wonder where his headspace is at. Throw the ball to him three times, open and drive against Clemson. I mean, if he were to if he were to come off the field three for three receiving, opening drive against Clemson, it really means three passes. But in a bigger sense, what it means is, well, he's going to be a focal point of the offense this year. And also, you know, confidence-wise, you're through the roof. But what's so exciting to me, Jake, and why you can excuse any Georgia fan for being above the moon excited about this, when we go back to the V word, that versatility word, think about having a guy like Eric Gilbert, or, or to a lesser extent, size-wise, even guys like Burton. But then also, this is why I really, really look forward to the upside of Arian Smith. I know he had a little, little ding in the spring, but... 
the ability to put a guy like that who in and of himself has a different skill set than anyone else, I think, on this roster, the ability to put groupings with both of those kinds of players on the field at the same time, it is not something Georgia's had. I'm not saying they haven't had fast players and physical players. I'm talking about blending all of the elite characteristics at the wide receiver position and putting the size and speed in there along with it. That is what's exciting because, again, they're not hurting at running back. They're not hurting elsewhere. They also don't have to score 50 points to win a game like Ole Miss does. They just may have the capability anyway now, finally. Very true. And I think that's where this this Georgia team has a chance to be not only a balanced offense, but a balanced football team, a team that, you know, listen, sometimes it's just not clicking as great. Sometimes you may have a slow first half. Well, you got a slow first half on offense. You know, it changes the game when you're down 31-10 at the half because you can't stop anybody defensively. And, and you know, there are championship teams, LSU, Alabama, they didn't have those super slow halves like that but they did have good enough defense that if they did, they would be able to hang around into, in a game and, and maybe only be down one, maybe two scores um, going into a critical part of the game. Let's, uh, let's, you know, obviously we know the tight end group, Darnell Washington, he's there. Um, offensive line, anything you're watching there before we go to a break? Yeah, I want to see if – I mean, I want to see where Jamari Salyer starts the season because I know in what I call preview magazine season – I, I know I haven't bought all of them, but I would imagine if you're flipping through those things, there are several different iterations of what people expect that offensive line rotation to be. And, and it could be that what it is on September 4th and what it is on October 4th are two different things. But I'm excited to see a guy like Sal here because that's again, that's not a true freshman. You're not guessing about who he is as a player. What you are maybe kind of guessing or speculating a little bit about is does he have the skill set and can Matt Luke get what he needs to out of him to put him maybe out at a left tackle spot or is he just a forever guard? And in that case, which I under, I would assume has been well documented over there on the message board, are you starting a younger guy out there? And then are you therein dealing with a lot of the first year kind of toothaches that you have to deal with sometimes when you do put a, a freshman red shirt true, whatever the case may be, first year starter out there? Well, you kind of hit on the scenario that I I would project at this particular moment, which is, listen, he played left tackle at a really high level for nine games last year. I think you're going to see Jamari Sawyer be Georgia's starting left tackle early in the year. Um, you know, when you got to run out there against Clemson, you need to know what you've got at left tackle. And I think when you combine that with the emergence of Tate Ratledge at guard, who you know has had a really good spring, struggled some early in the spring game, but it was mental struggles, it was assignment struggles, not physical struggles. Um, uh, you know, and he's had a he's had a tremendous summer. I think you're looking at a starting offensive line of Jamari Sawyer, jo- Jordan Schaefer, Justin Schaefer, not Jordan Schaefer, not the center fielder for the Braves and Astros and <laughs> nobody else, but Justin Schaefer at left guard, Warren Erickson at center with Cedric Van Pran pushing. I'm I'm still sky high on Cedric Pran, and I know uh, Cedric Van Pran, and I and I know the Georgia coaching staff is as well. Uh, Tate Rattledge at right guard, and Warren McClendon at right tackle, and but I do think by season's end you're going to start to see maybe some guys working their way in their left tackle, maybe Xavier Truss, maybe Amarius Mims, maybe even Broderick Jones, and, and for maybe there to be a changing of the guard there and for the, for the kind of the rotation to move to right tackle as opposed to right guard as opposed to left tackle. Uh, but, but I do like Sawyer to start the season at, at left tackle simply because you know what you've got there. And if you want to block Miles Murphy down after down after down, you're going to want to put a guy in there that can – 
maybe lose a battle but keep his head up. And, and I'm not so sure you can depend on that with inexperienced players like like Truss and, uh, and like a Marius Mims or even a Broderick Jones. I think what you just said, kind of the scenario you put out there, it's so important to think about. And for like the fifth time already, we're discussing a, a more intricate facet of the game within the game here. But what you just said is an inevitability. You're facing a surefire future high first round draft pick in all likelihood and guys like miles Murphy. And they got multiples of them with Clemson this year. I mean, Man, in fact, Josh, I got to stop you. Cause I, I was, uh, I, my eyes got really big. Cause when I heard the huh, like the H sound come out, I, I thought you were going to say surefire hall of famers. <laughs> like, like I was like, man, Josh is going in. Like he is trying to scare Georgia fans to death here. They're really good players though. But my eyes kind of got big. I was like, is he really going to say that? Yeah, so uh, so bought heavy stock, obviously, in Miles Murphy. But yeah, I, I mean, so, but that's that's not a matchup that is strictly a concern of Georgia fans. That matchup, that D line, O line matchup, both ways, I think fan bases feel a little trepidation about the status of their offensive line going into the season. So that's not just a one way concern. But what you said, it rings so true, which again goes to this this whole inadequacy of predicting games based off. Well, let me just blanketly assume how I think this matchup goes. That's not what a football game comes down to. Football game comes down to, I mean, let's go back to the exact scenario we painted earlier. Third and six, your opponent's 37-yard line. It's 23 to 20. It's mid to late third quarter. And instead of getting the pass off, uh, Murphy gets around Jamari Salyer, gets the sack. It pushes you out of field goal range. You punt the ball. Okay, but I said mid third quarter. I didn't say late fourth quarter. So you're about to come out there very next drive. Is it in your head or are you able to put it behind you, keep your head up and eventually buy a quarterback another half seconds worth of pocket time to deliver a game winning throw 10 minutes worth of raw game time later? That's the difference in a football game. And you're absolutely right, especially early in the season on a big stage like that. You don't know what you have from the neck up with those younger guys. Physically, you may know, but you never until you go into battle, man, you don't know what you have with players for better or for worse. I think I agree with you because at least they do know what they have. They want to dance with guys they know early in the season in that kind of position. All right, let's take a break here real quick. On the other side, we're going to talk about defense. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Josh, I'm going to ask you a question here. I want a one-word answer. and. I'm going to follow up with another question. Are you worried and worried 
for Georgia, not about Georgia. Cause I'm, you know, obviously you're, you're in a, you're not a fan, but are you worried for Georgia's secondary? Yes. Okay. Why? All right, now we get to go past one word. Those one-word answers are always entrapment, by the way. So I am worried relative to early season expectation level here, knowing, again, we're talking about college football and what the value of one game is. Here's what I worry about. I think that it does not take a rocket scientist to understand if you are the Clemson Brain Trust and you look at your favorable and unfavorable matchups, you cannot love what you see with your offensive line versus Georgia's front. In fact, very few, if any, coaching staffs worth their salt are going to feel that way when they play Georgia this year. Okay, well, that's not the end of the world. What that does mean is a lot of quick perimeter passing. And that puts such a premium and such an emphasis on defensive back play at the line of scrimmage. And it puts a premium on limiting yards after contact. And so, I, I mean, I'm not going to go back to our scenario for the third time because we beat it to death. But these these third down situations where I think all of these big games are won and lost, these third down situations, a missed tackle and five extra yards gained on a fall forward versus a stick someone and pushing two yards backwards, that is the difference in some games like these. And so you're going to have to have guys that are young and inexperienced or a guy even like Tyke Smith, who is neither young nor inexperienced, but is coming into a different system here. I think that's pretty safe to say. You're going to have to have them step up, not have their heads swimming at the wrong time and make five or six of those critical plays on third down. I, I mean, I, I can't say anything other than I'm mildly concerned about their ability to do that consistently early in the year. If we're talking about the Florida game in late October or, you know, the, the SEC title game, if they make it there, that's a different story. But early in the season, yes. And Jake, also what we never want to talk about this time of year, but we also know usually is an inevitability is someone getting dinged at some point. I mean, someone having to, uh, to miss a, a series or two or a game or two because of a nagging injury. And then you test your depth. That's what I'm always paying attention to with any kind of relatively inexperienced position group. It, it, this thing's not played on paper. And so rarely, if ever, does the, the one through whatever position group that you see in a preview magazine end up being the same one through whatever position group that's on the field in your bowl game. So, yeah, that's where I would be – I mean, that's where I would be concerned the most moving forward. Also, those week one games, man, how many, how many tap outs because of cramping do we see? So all kinds of weird stuff can happen, and all kinds of people can be pressed into duty in those early season games, and it's a crapshoot, and it's especially, especially a crapshoot, I think, in that specific matchup, those perimeter throws. You know, I, I'm actually glad to hear that that you are concerned with it, simply because, like, I, you know, when, when you do this on a daily basis, there are – you know, there are high points and low points. There are times like it's a, it's almost like an individual spectrum for every position group that I kind of work my way through every off season, because, you know, you start to look at, okay, you add transfer portal additions, you take what you've heard from practice, you take this minor injury that happened during the summer, you take this, uh, this major injury that may knock a guy out for the, for the entire year. And, you know, fortunately Georgia hasn't had to deal with those things as much, but, you know, you, you start to look at it and, you know, Georgia adds Darian Kendrick and they add Tyke Smith. And all of a sudden that kind of changes the complexion of the secondary. You get a little bit more depth at safety with, by adding Tyke Smith, which safety depth is in depth is an issue because Smith can play the star and Latavius Brini can kind of be Georgia's number three safety. And he has some experience. You add Darian Kendrick and you, you 
almost certainly lock down one of the cornerback spots and you shift the competition over to the other cornerback spot and and basically open up those reps for those guys. And, and you know, then you hear Kirby Smart talk about how Darian Kendrick played in a similar system at Clemson that Georgia runs, whereas Tyke Smith did not. And, you know, all of those things kind of cause you to all move the meter for you, right? Well, here lately, my thinking has been, listen, that front seven – is is dynamite okay that front seven is not that defensive line is ridiculous i mean you you made a comment on it on twitter talk about how you know the the when i did a breakdown of it recently that that group could probably conquer small countries okay jordan davis Devontae white jalen carter trayvon walker that's before getting to a bunch of other guys that could probably play in just about every rotation in the country um but but so that kind of gets you thinking, well, maybe they can protect the secondary. Maybe Georgia – but then you look at outside linebacker, and this has kind of been my thing of late. Adam Anderson, Nolan Smith, complete unknown. That's the way That's the way it goes. And listen, MJ Sherman's talented. Robert Beal is an experienced guy with a lot of talent as well. Um, Chaz Chambliss got off to a good start at Georgia, but I've got my questions as to whether or not he's got the length and the athleticism to be an impact player there. And Xavier Sori didn't get to go through spring football practice. He's a five-star prospect. He can he checks off all the boxes, and he can uh, he can do some things for Georgia at some point this year. It's going to be tough to do that in game one. I'm telling you, man, when I look at this defense, my number one concern, and, and it and it's a it's a ripple effect is that outside linebacker position an injury or two or a guy having to miss significant time during the spring and maybe not being in the shape he needs to be in to start the season and how that affects the secondary. So I was actually glad to hear you say that you do have those concerns because mine are starting to also creep back up into that direction. I kind of had a lull there in the middle of the summer where I was like, or not middle of the summer, but after Darian Kendrick came in like, hey, listen, I, I think Georgia's going to be fine in the secondary. So now I'm starting to think that one injury at, at, at outside linebacker or an injury at safety all of a sudden brings you to a point where maybe there is some concern about an inexperienced secondary and, and one that may be exploited by the best passing game they're going to face in the regular season to start the season. Really important point there at the very end. Probably true, too. The best passing game they're going to see in the regular season is the first game. So here's the catch-22 in college football. Um, if you've got some question marks, then – would you rather have five or six games under your belt before you play that big game and run the risk of injury? Or would you rather start the season at your strongest, at least depth wise, but with the question marks? That's always the catch 22. But I can tell you right now from a national perspective, this is almost a certainty, Jake. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, I can tell you Georgia's defensive back play is not going to be perfect in week one. Hopefully for them, it'll be good enough to win. But either way, there will be people come away and look at that Georgia secondary, just like we just did, even with a game's hindsight and say, yeah, I, mean, I think that's where you get Georgia if you're going to get them this year. Well, you'll, you'll be watching the UAB game and then the South Carolina game, the Vanderbilt game. The nation will not. The nation's attention will be removed from Georgia for a little while. And they'll play South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky. They will not face anything that uh, remotely resembles an elite passing game, at least with the caliber of athletes that match up with you. And so magically, defensive back play is going to improve. And then you'll have that classic question of, well, has it really improved or have we just not faced another offensive unit that's really capable of exploiting us? Because you see this a lot of times, ironically, with Clemson. You think you see a weakness, but then you say, well, hey, 
it's there. Trust me. It's just that they play such weak competition in the ACC. Ohio State, you say this about them too. There's no one in the Big Ten that can really push them like down the road an Alabama can in the national title game. Well, sometimes that stuff proves to be true, or sometimes a good coaching staff improves their team as the year goes on. And so maybe Georgia struggles a little bit at that spot against Clemson in week one, and then they're a totally different looking team by the time they play you know, Florida or Missouri later in the year. But that's just something that I keep an eye on because it's really hard. It's really hard to gauge progress if you see some glaring weaknesses in week one, and then you go through a stretch where, you know, you're not exactly facing another DJ Uyangalale, how do you know how incremental the improvement has been after that? That is the number one defensive key for Georgia football all season. You hit the nail on the head is, all right, game one's game one. And if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. Georgia climbs right back in, favorable slate from there on out win out, uh, win the SEC East, win in Atlanta. You get All of your goals are still very much on the table. you got maybe a little bit less margin for error. Maybe you don't get a freebie at the end of the season. Regardless of what happens in game one, that secondary getting better, getting deeper, getting stronger, getting more impactful, starting to make more plays as the season goes along. And listen, as, as much as there are question marks, I'm a huge Lewis Seen guy. I think he's a stud. I think he's going to have a big year. I think it might be his last year at Georgia if it, if it happens the way I think it's going to. I think Darian Kendrick has a chip on his shoulder and is going to play really well this year because I know he, he knows it's a contract year. He's had a couple of rough playoffs in a row, and I think he's going to have a really good season for Georgia. I think Tyke Smith is an excellent football player, and I think Chris Smith is kind of in that same mold, and I think Georgia has a lot of talent at that other quarter, cornerback position. But to get it, you know, you're talking about two positions on Georgia's football team that, that are probably at least two points of discussions, if not concerns, offensive line and, and defensive backfield. Both of those units, you would probably rank those number one and number two in terms of specific units on your football team that have to be cohesive, that have to communicate, that have to get it together, and it's going to be tough to be that in game one. So I, I think if you're not at least a little bit concerned in game one about that team, then you're probably maybe lying to yourself a little bit. And and I think that, that point needs to be put there. Uh, let's wrap this up real quick, Josh. I just want to hear your thoughts on the defensive line. I want to see what else you can come up with to entertain Georgia fans other than these, these, this group of 10 or 11 guys that Georgia has that could probably play at a high level, at least eight or nine, taking over a small country. Give us another metaphor. You're really good at these. Well, what's beautiful is you started to list the depth at defensive tackle. I don't know if people caught this earlier. Jake started to list the depth at defensive tackle, and he couldn't get all the names out in one breath. He ran out of breath, and then we just moved on. So there were still seven. Hey, that's names just because I'm out of shape. Well, it's it's partly because of that and partly because of elite recruiting. So let's give some credit where it's due there. This is really this is one of those where you wish you could you could take some of that depth and you could distribute it elsewhere. Uh, but this is the way football happens. But this is really fun. Here, here's what I'm very interested in. I'm interested in some of these games where Georgia gets up on teams. You see this with the the highest elite depth kind of programs in America. Normally, if you're watching a football game and someone's up on something, it's just run out the clock time and, you know, it's it's 38 to 10 and let's just get out of here. Well, at a place like Georgia, especially on this unit this year, when they start to rotate those guys in, that is their big chance. And so you see guys who are ultra talented, who would be starting 95% of other places in America. They come in with their hair on fire and you're looking and you're because this is how he, this is the first glimpse that you get of some of these elite guys. You see some of the other big programs, 
the first time you see an eventual star is in a blowout situation late in a game and the rest of the country's tuned out and you're still watching because you're a fan and you say, whoa, who, just write that name down. I mean, I remember his name in recruiting, but I haven't seen him yet. So that, that's him. That's that guy. And I think you'll have several of those situations this year if you're a Georgia fan of watching someone in a blowout game just blow through an SEC caliber right guard or left tackle and put a quarterback on his back before he even completes his drop. And you'll say, that guy's not good enough to start for us. That depth situation must be in a a pretty good condition. Yeah. And Josh, I'm telling you, man, like when, when you, when you've seen, when you watch these guys closely and you see what a guy like Zion Logue did last year when he stepped up against Florida and how he played against Missouri and Cincinnati, uh, Nazir Stackhouse, uh, Warren Brinson, I mean, it's it really is. I mean, the only real knock you can give Georgia's defensive line is maybe they don't have the three to four defensive ends that can play winning football like they had a couple years ago. That five technique position, but at the same time, like that kind of that kind of combines with outside linebacker. You got Jalen Carter and and Devontae Wyatt who are who are plenty athletic enough to line up with that five technique on certain downs and, and in certain situations. Warren Brinson can do it. Stackhouse can probably do it. You got Tramiel Wildhauer hanging around back there. Marlon Dean, a freshman that that, that impressed this uh, spring. And and I think a lot of it, listen, the recruiting has been fantastic. I think the development has just been has been just as good. I think Trey Scott is is probably uh, Trey Scott, the, the defensive line coach, not the twenty four seven sports national personality, Renaissance man, editor, and Texas Longhorn. <laughs> who who fan. just texted me as you were talking? By the way, <laughs> I, we, we we had a little we we chuckled about that at SEC Media Days. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Trey Scott's kind of a rising star in that regard, and um, you know has a chance to also pull in another great class. But that defensive line is is one of the best at what they do um, in the entire country. And uh, well, Josh, man, listen, uh, we're, we're kind of running out of time here because we're limited on the, on the amount of time we can have this platform for, but dude, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, dude. I, I actually feel like I learned a lot from you uh, just from having that, you know, like you, I think you said it earlier, that 50,000 foot view of everything. I know you're not that far away from Georgia football, but it's, it's a little further away than I am and a different perspective. I feel like I learned a lot from you. Well, I appreciate it, man. Here's what I'm looking forward to. So practices are closed in Athens, I'm told, based on a really, really good source that I happen to be talking to right now. And so here's what every single morning, afternoon, and evening is going to consist of for me over the next month. Dogs247.com and check out what's happening. Every single practice calls the least little tidbit sometimes can be the one that has the most meat on the bone. And I can turn into a, a seven and a half minute segment on Lake Kick. Hey man, thanks for the uh, th- thanks for the the little plug there, and and we definitely appreciate it. And uh, we hope everybody come over to Dogs Twenty Four Seven and check us out. Also check out Late Kick. Josh, when is it? When is it on? Well, starting next week, we're going Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night live every night, eight Eastern, seven Central, over on the Twenty Four Seven Sports YouTube channel. Jake, that thing's blown up, man. And I don't I don't say that braggadociously at all. We have gotten across the board buy-in from our audience in the brief time we've been here and it's blown up that channel the 24 7 sports youtube channel has blown up the podcast we're in top 10 nationally in football overall now which i never even felt imaginable but it's it's something we spent zero dollars promoting which which makes me the most proud because it's been total organic growth which is what as you know marketing firms pay millions of dollars to try and replicate every year we just try and put a good product out there. And if you do, I mean, look around the landscape of national college football. 
even though there've never been more voices, it's really thin out there. And so, I mean, our belief is if we put a quality product out there, it can be an island unto national college football talk. And man, I, I appreciate the opportunity, but I love our team network here too, man. It's, it's invaluable to me to be able to do something like we're doing right now. Josh, man, we appreciate it, dude. We really do. All right, everybody, for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. He's Josh, Port- Josh Pace of 24-7 Sports, and you all take it easy. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.